Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I am 12 Kyle. (laughs) Check this out. On this episode, got a special guest in the building. Um, I've often said, like, it is uh, it's, it's always cool, but it is extremely hard and difficult when you make an attempt to interview your friends because your friends know you better than anybody else. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to interview friends without laughing. Uh, so I'm going to try to get through this interview without laughing. Uh, this episode, I'm bringing on a good friend of mine, man, been rocking with this guy, Jesus, 20 plus years. Yeah. Uh, he is currently the head strength coach for the Atlanta Falcons football team. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the 12 Kyle podcast for the first time, Dr. Thomas Stallworth. Stall, what up, man? What up, Kyle? Appreciate you having me, baby. Oh, man, anytime, man. Glad to get you on. Glad to get you on, man. Um, wow. I, I, You know, what's weird is I just said something that I don't think I've ever said. I called you Dr. and I called you Thomas. I don't think I've ever yeah. called you Thomas. Neither one of them. <laughs> and I, and most, I don't even answer to neither one of them. Right, right. And I think, and it's funny because, like, Sometimes Sharice will say, she was like, well, you know, did, did Thomas do such? And I'm like, who is Thomas? Like, yeah. who is that? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know damn Thomas. <laughs> but anyway. Um, you know, you know my, you got, I got a new friend or something? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, got you on the podcast, man. We're going to talk a little bit about your journey uh, to the NFL. Um, it's been an eventful journey, to say, to say the least. Um, so... I guess before we start talking about the NFL, let's talk about where it started. Um, before I even start where, where it started, I guess I should probably go back uh, to give people a little brief synopsis of who you are and where you came from. Um, Dr. Tom, Thomas Stallworth is, as I mentioned, the head strength coach for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, but before that, he was a football player at the University of Tennessee, uh, where he was a linebacker. Uh, from 1997 to 2001, in that time frame, the Tennessee Volunteers won five bowl games. Didn't know that. Uh, they yeah, won two SEC. Ch- <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't win five. We we lost to Kansas State um, in the Cotton Bowl. We lost to Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. Okay. Um, so Wikipedia's got this all wrong. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but you did true. win the 1998. Uh, national championship absolutely we definitely did that <laughs> with uh t martin at the helm um and from there you went on to coach in college football uh at my alma mater south carolina state university from 2004 to 2008 uh you then left there to go to grambling uh from 2008 state. to huh yeah put, put oh, i'm sorry grambling state i'm sorry grambling state university and and yeah. my, for my boy eclectic who's a grambling alum he said uh that's the place where everybody's somebody i guess that's what they say down there yeah it is that's, that's exactly what <laughs> and from there uh you went on to uh be the, become the uh associate head strength coach uh strength and conditioning coach for three seasons at mississippi state uh from there you did a season at uh, north carolina state texas tech and then a season at fresno state 
And then after that, Dr. Thomas Stallworth moved on to become the head strength and conditioning coach at Western Kentucky University. Subsequently, after that, he made it the NFL. Spent three seasons with my favorite team, the NFL Football Giants. Uh, and then after three seasons, became the head strength and conditioning coach for the Atlanta Falcons. So, Stahl, you you you've been around. I mean, you've you've <laughs> you've had a few stops. Yeah, um, just a few. Uh, so I guess let's go back where it started. Um, where were you uh, born and raised? Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, both of my parents are HBCU alums. My dad went to Tennessee State. My mom went to Fisk University. Okay. That's what's up. That's what's up. But And you went to high school here in Metro Atlanta, correct? Well, you got to put some I, – I, because we are both from this area, we can't false claim Atlanta. I went, okay. to Lathonia, I went to Lathonia High School. There you go, Lathonia High School. Okay. Now, the question, and, and here's the thing that I always try to do, particularly when I'm interviewing people, and it's even more difficult when you're interviewing friends, I try to ask questions that I don't know the answer to. So I definitely don't know the answer to this question, and I've never asked you this before. So of all the schools, though, how does a kid from Lathonia, Georgia, end up in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee playing football for uh, – the legendary Philip Fulmer. Well, again, I was born in Nashville, and so growing up, you know, it was even though I was living in Georgia, raised in Georgia, I was always a Tennessee fan. You know, okay, you, you're talking the late '80s, early '90s with, with, you know, just the the cobweb. You know, Let, let's just say early cobweb. '90s because you you wasn't in the '80s, though. You you too young. Oh gosh, you, you, you go. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to mess with him a little bit, guys, because I'm older than him. So go ahead. Yeah, just make sure you let everybody know. A lot <laughs> um, no, and so you know, just thinking back to those days with, with, you know, they used to call it Cobweb, Reggie, Reggie Cobb, and Chuck Webb, and the run James Little Man Stewart. You know, it was, a, it was a great time in Tennessee football in those early '90s that basically transitioned to the time when I was there. So. Mm-hmm. It was it was just my love for the university. Okay, okay. So your love for the University of Tennessee got you to tell. Okay, yeah. okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so you leave Tennessee. What what led you into coaching? Because like I've often said, like, and I've told you this before on several times, several occasions. Like I have, I had never had the patience to coach. Um, the furthest I got was coaching my son's football team when he was, you know, eight years old. But what led you into coaching? So it's funny because, you know, like most college students, I, and as you talk to people, everybody's, you, I would say about 80% of society's stories are the same. Mm-hmm. Nobody finishes college with the major that they originally went in with. Nope. And so going part, the other reason I wanted to go to UT at that time it was a top 25 engineering school. And so I originally went in as a civil engineering major. But what you learn about engineering classes, engineering schedules, and football, those schedules don't mix. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) I mean, because most of your engineering classes are in the afternoon at the same time Mm -hmm. as football practice. And so it's, you know, you can't keep, you know, putting classes off until the next semester or the next semester or when you're not in season, you know, so real quick, you just had to make that adjustment. 
And so when I changed my major to sport management with a business minor, at that point, like, you know, my sister's a judge now, but at that time she was in Notre Dame Law School. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being around her and my aspirations of actually wanting to start to be a, to be a sports agent. Okay. So, you know, working that channel, you know, the engineering, you, the, those couple of semesters of engineering, set my GPA back some. You know, it, it, <laughs> Just a little. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of backtracked me. So I wasn't able to make the transition like I wanted to. But, um, you know, I had to go to grad school. And even while I was in grad school, I continued to try to study the LSAT and try to get into law school because Tennessee does have a, at that time, it was a top 25, top 30 law school. Okay. So my plan was, you know, the classic, okay, I'm here. I'm going to go to undergrad, grad school, law school. Because I really loved the university. I had, you know, some great relationships with people across campus. But once I did not get into law school, it became, okay, what's your next step? Because I, mm-hmm. ultimately, I just wanted to be around the game. You know okay. how it is. Like, when you're an athlete, you, you very rarely get away, like, you, even though you're not playing, you very rarely get away from the game. And so I always had the love for the game and wanted to be around it. So, you know, while I'm in grad school, I'm a GA in the weight room. And, you know, before when it's time to graduate, like I said, I hadn't gotten into law school yet. Had, you know, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Grad school just ain't going to keep – just let you keep taking classes. Nope. So – yeah, so that that was how I got into coaching. And and it, it's interesting because you're right. It's it's very hard, especially I want people listening to understand like when you've done something particularly like football and you played for as long as you played from little league through high school through college, it's hard to just walk away, especially if you know that the NFL isn't probably coming calling. Yeah. Um and you want to still be around the game in a form or fashion. Um so your coaching career takes off. <clears throat> um, you and uh, you and I met, and you know it's funny. I was I was trying to think like we met. I don't even know what year we met. It was the year that South Carolina State beat Grambling. I do remember that. Well, no, it wouldn't have been that year because it, it that would because that year was the year I was actually at Grambling. Okay, so I don't so did, did I meet you then? Because um. You know, Hemby was the one who really introduced me to yeah, everybody. Yeah, Hemby, yeah. So he introduced me to all y'all at one of the homecoming. <laughs> and, you know, it, I, I tell people all the time that, that was, like, South Carolina State was a great experience and a great time for me because going from a, a predominant, you know, a PWI mm-hmm. and a very athletic-driven university to – HBCU where culture is unlike anything you've experienced. You know, you get there and you see this and like you just start meeting former players and it's like they just welcome you. They embrace you because mm-hmm. ultimately every former player wants the best for their program. Facts. So at that time I was actually coaching two of Hemby's brothers. And so, you know, he was that's how he and I got close because he was actually still coaching football too. So we would sit down and talk mm-hmm. shop, but then, yeah, that homecoming, I'm out on the yard, 
you know, all wrong after the game. Then he, <laughs> you know, because now I'm looking back at it like I'm out there in my, in my work clothes, got my coaching gear on. Right, you know, right. Just all wrong. But, you know, he's introducing me to all you are. And so at that point, yeah, that's. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, the cypher started on email. I couldn't even, yeah. I couldn't remember. Yeah, right. That's crazy, right? And I, I can't, I couldn't even remember like when we, when we started kicking it. And so like you look back on that time. So your coaching career takes off. I mentioned the schools where you were. Um, you know, I remember, I remember obviously, you know, you being at Grambling and then um, Mississippi State. And as your career takes off, you do something that's a little bit different from most people in that you not only went and got your master's, but you went and got a doctorate e- even as, you know, as, as you progress, um, which is something that you don't see a lot in co- in the coaching industry. Um, you, it says here that you earned your doctorate of psychology and sports performance psychology from the University of Arizona Global Campus. Um, and your master's was in sports administration from the University of Tennessee. And then you got your bachelor's, uh, obviously, in sports management from the University of Tennessee as well. So I kind of chuckle when I say that because, like, what made you make that transition to say, you know what, I'm going to get my doctorate? Because, again, you don't see a lot of coaches with a doctorate. Well, it's it's funny because it's a very layered question. And I say that because my my dad always, you know, my my father, who's a military man, always, you know, just – pressed me on education to stress the importance of education and so you know he, he just always he just kind of kept you should think about getting your doctorate you should think about getting your doctorate <laughs> you know and i and i would always kind of like just like that laugh it off like man i'm, I'm done with school like i'm right. good on that i'm not you know doctorate that's research and a whole lot more reading i'm good on that um but then when i was at mississippi state um Commission position came available, and I interviewed, and I didn't get it. So at that point, it was a eye-opening experience about the nature of the business and mm. coaching, but then also just a life lesson about loyalty. And so what I told myself at that point was, well, I'm going to prepare myself now so that I can distinguish myself. I don't want to just be the regular average strength coach that's got you know that's the meathead that just likes lifting weight <laughs> i want i want no and i want i wanted to be respected for my mind and my mental capabilities but then also this is the time that you know that health and sports psychology was really gaining traction and and what and what the field is and so i wanted to do that because i will say this i learned this from a mentor don't retire you know they mm. don't get the benefit of the doubt like football coaches do when this when this profession tells you to hang your whistle up you know you're done mm. and so for me it was also just having a backup plan that when that time comes i can make a transition into player personnel player development you know, even if i want to go into a high school setting and just start teaching mm-hmm. you know I've, I've, I've got a backup plan because yeah this this business is it's very fleeting, and it's now because of its popularity, it's almost overpopulated. Right, and it's a business. Yeah, At the end of the day, it's a business. Uh, so you <clears throat> you do that, 
and I remember you being at Western Kentucky University, as I mentioned a little earlier. So you had Western Kentucky, and folks, I kid you not, I kid you not. This guy tells the crew, "Hey, man, I'm going to the NFL Combine this weekend." All right, okay, stall, cool. You know, whatever, whatever. He literally comes back in like three days, and then he sends us a message on our group chat, and he says. Yeah, I'm about to go to the NFL. I just took, I accepted a job with the Giants. I'm like, huh? What? How did you, you were going to the combine and you come away with a job? How did, what, what happened when you, or, or did you know when you were going to the combine that you were going to interview for a position? So that week was actually rather funny because, you know, everybody, if you play college football, everybody knows what, Matt drills and morning workouts are alike. Mm-hmm. Well, where Western Kentucky is in Bowling Green, I, it was hour and a half, maybe two hours south of Indianapolis, straight up sixty-five. Mm-hmm. So I get a call from the head strength coach with the Giants, Aaron Wellman, at the time, and asking if I'm in. They've got open position. Asking if I'm interested in interviewing. Who who would not want to work for the Giants? Right. I absolutely, Coach. Um, okay, well, can you meet us in Indy? Wait a minute. Like it's y'all know I'm in the middle of off season. So you know, long story short, we just finished. Like we're on the field six a.m. Mm-hmm. Six forty-five. We're finishing. Six fifty. I'm in the car going up sixty-five. Wow. So, so I go up, drive up to Indy, interview. I'm interviewed with the head guy, the head strength coach, a couple of athletic trainers. And then you know, he's like, well, we appreciate your time. We'll be in touch. So as I'm driving back, they're like, well, we'd like a second interview with you. Wow. Well, would you be able to come to the facility? So now I'm like, hold on. You know, this is the college in me. Like, I don't, like, when am I supposed to, I, I, one, I can't afford to fly to New Jersey. <laughs> Right. They were like, well, no, we'll send you a flight itinerary. What's close to the airport? I was like, Nashville. Send me itinerary. So now on Thursday, they fly me up to the facility for an in-person interview mm. with the head, the entire athletic training staff, the rest of the strength staff. Get a chance to meet with the GM and the assistant GM. Before I leave the building, they got the contract offer for me. Wow. So yeah, so. On that Thursday, that was another morning workout, another mat drill. I'm on the road driving <laughs> to Nashville for the flight to New Jersey. By the time I come, you know, yeah, by the time I leave, I'm coming back. I got my contract offer and I'm officially a giant. That was crazy. I remember you told us that. I was just like, man. And it, it but it taught me a lesson though, and the lesson was always be prepared. That too, yeah. You know, always be prepared. Opportunity gonna knock. You don't know when it when it's coming, but you got to be ready. You know, so that's that's the thing that always stood out to me about that process for you. Um, so you get to the NFL, and I guess one of the things that like, and I'll, I'll give you a little backdrop on this. What I'm about to talk about. Um, I remember like when I first moved to Atlanta. Um, one of my best friends. He had uh, he worked at the Georgia Dome when the Falcons were then playing at the Georgia Dome, and he had press passes and sideline passes. He would I don't know how he would get them, but he'd get them and give them to us. So, um, 
so you know, being me being a lifelong NFL fan, I've been to NFL games, been to the Super Bowl the whole night. And I remember that first year that I was in Atlanta, which was the year that the Falcons actually went to the Super Bowl. Um, shout out to Eugene Robinson. <laughs> so so so, but I remember that they had a playoff game that year against the 49ers. And I, he gave me a, a press pass. So I took the press pass. I was in the press box at first eating and stuff. And then I came on the field. And I, even someone like myself who had played college football, you know, at South Carolina State University, you know, nothing. I'm not, I, I was never intimidated by anybody's size or anything, even as being as small as I am. But the thing that stood out to me was as I stood on that sideline, I had no idea that the game was as fast as it was. I mean, like, and I'm talking about this is the 49ers with Steve Young at quarterback, T.O. at wide receiver. And I could not believe how fast they were moving. And I was like, there's no way. I mean, you know, like every athlete in their mind, every football player in their mind thinks, hey, I could play in the NFL. No, you can't. (laughs) You just can't, you know. And it was at that moment I was like, you know what? Eh, I think I made the right career choice. But that was like a a, a, a kind of a, an awakening for me um, where the speed of the game really surprised me because it's nothing like what you see on TV. So no, I, no, I said no, all that. Close. <laughs> so I said all of that to say this. What was the thing that probably surprised you the most, you know, once you got to the NFL, either either during the game or, you know, just during the week? That you know, I would say 90, 95% of these players are regular people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and by that, you can talk to them about anything. You know, it's not like they have these these bravado egos or I'm this, I'm, you know, I'm NFL. Like, no, these are regular dudes that you can laugh, crack jokes with, talk about. They talk about you like there's a true <laughs> dialogue and relationship that can be built. Just the genuineness to some of, to some of these players that you know, if you just asking for it, you know, depending on what you ask for, oh yeah, no problem, I'll do that for you. Mm-hmm. Like, and but they also are obsessed with their craft. So, as a coach, they want to know that you know what you're talking about. Right. Once they know that, you have a different level of respect with them. But if not, you know, they'll see through you, and you can lose them real quick. Mm. That's a great point. That is a great point. And I think people don't understand the business and the relational side of the NFL. And that's, that's very key, particularly, you know, considering the amount of time that you spend with them. Um, I remember, I think it was your first year with the giants. Uh, there was a Monday night game where you guys played against the 49ers. And so you're in San Francisco, (laughs) you're in San Francisco. And I remember we we're in the group chat after the game and he was like, all right, man, I'm about to, you know, get on this plane. I'll, I'll holler at y'all later. And I, and I think I asked you, I was like, I said, so were you going home when you get home? Or you was like, no, you was like, I'm going straight to the facility. And I kind of did the math in my head. Like, I mean, you know, it was, you know, around midnight here in on the East coast. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to catch a four hour flight and you're going straight four, into the food. <laughs> four. four. Four hours from New Jersey will barely get you to Dallas. Wow. That flight was every bit of six and a half hours. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that that long. Okay. So I tell people all the time, until you live up in the Northeast, you take for granted that New Jersey and like all those states are really 
further out east mm-hmm. than the east coast. Gotcha. So you're really flying from the furthest point east in the you know the the land the continent of the United States mm-hmm. to the west coast. Mm-hmm. And and that that ex- just that exchange that we had that day that told me about you know your preparation. What uh what what is what is game day like? And, and you don't have to get into specifics as far as like what you know it, with New York and and Atlanta. But what is what is game day like for you? What is what is uh, your typical if there's such a thing? What is your uh, typical game day? Well, I mean, to that point, you can't say what's typical because. You might have a one o'clock game. You might have a four o'clock game. Now with these flex games, you might have a <laughs> night game. You know, like a Thursday night game is completely different depending on what time zone you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously with us being in Atlanta and New Orleans being in our division, that's the central time zone. So, you know, like a one o'clock game on the East Coast is 12 o'clock there. Right. So typically we get to the stadium four hours before game time. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, goes on behind the scenes that, you know, from a player preparation, from a preparation, there's a lot of stuff that goes on once you get to the stadium. And so you know, there's about two hours of lull time from about 9 to 11, 9, yeah, before mm-hmm. the first group, before the groups actually start rolling out on the field for the right. warmups that the fans see, mm-hmm. no doubt, no doubt, and that that's always uh, that's always fun for the fans because you know that's is especially you know now they have this thing where they'll bring the fans on the field you know the first what maybe two hours or so before kickoff so they get a chance yep. to interact you know maybe rub some shoulders with some big wigs or what have you. Uh, so now let's let's get to the fun part of this, though. Um, a couple of rapid, just off the wall questions. Um, what's the loudest college stadium you've been in? That is a great question, and I tell people this wholeheartedly. As much as they were a rival mm-hmm. between the University of Florida and an LSU night game. Oh wow. You do not want to roll up in LSU at night <laughs> when them folks been drinking all, all day. day long. <laughs> and they find ways to get drinks in the stadium. That thing gets to rocking, and that is college football at its finest, baby. Mm. What the about Florida, the – But the Florida game, because at that time when we were there, when I was mm-hmm. in school, and it was a true rivalry, you know, the way that that stadium is built, really holds in noise so that thing could get rocking too oh yeah for sure for sure yeah that i i i thought you might say neyland stadium where the uh where your volunteers play but um nah both both stadiums that's what i've always heard like they say lsu if you're outside of the stadium like you can really if it's rocking you can feel the ground outside the stadium moving yes sir. um what about the loudest nfls and i know you probably haven't been at all of the nfl stadiums but you're probably coming up on them um Loudest NFL stadium so far for you? Well, I had a ch- when I was living out in Fresno, I had a former player, Gabe Jackson, mm-hmm. who was playing for the Raiders when they were still in Oakland. Okay, Ooh. and and the Oakland Coliseum <laughs> is the closest thing to a college atmosphere that you will ever have. Wow! I mean, when when they talk about the black hole, 
and just that that Raider mystique, Raider Nation, is mm-hmm. here. You feel bad for the city of Oakland because they don't have that football franchise. Right. But those were some of the most passionate fans in the NFL by far. Mm. That's great. That's great. Um, <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna give you a scenario. You've got you've got to go 80 yards. You're down by five points. You're on offense now. You're down by five. You got to go 80 yards. You got one timeout. What quarterback, past or present, do you want to engineer your drive? I see that's a tough question. <laughs> I know. That's what I do. Well, no, I mean, because, you know, I played quarterback in high school. Now, that I did not know. So you, I, was a wishbone, I was a wishbone quarterback in high school. You know you and just open yourself up to some jokes uh, later absolutely, on. Absolutely. <laughs> but, that, but that's why my son plays now. He – he got the, the body for it. Like, I, right. I grew out of it real quick. And this in this day and age, you know, where you can actually throw the ball instead right. of being a military academy, just being a glorified running back. Um, yeah, so, Randall Cunningham was always my favorite quarterback growing up. Then when I got to college, because Lothonia, our school colors were black and gold, mm-hmm. that's when I started to fall in love with Cordell Stewart as a player. Okay, because that because they ran the with the option just like we did, and so I wore number ten because of him. In okay, high school. um, boy, but you still ain't answered the question yet. But no, no, because I'm going there. <laughs> I was going to say now, if if it's college, no, let, let's just go pro. Let's go pro because that that probably makes it easy. Pro, I'm actually going to go with Randall. People underestimate his arm. And his overall athletic ability. Like he if he if he were to break loose, he's got what we call that good gas. He could ride, <laughs> yes. he could ride out on a lot of people and you know that 80, he could eat up that 80 yards real quick because of that stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I didn't expect that answer. For me, I'd probably say I probably say Marino. Um you can't go wrong, Marino. Brady's probably a close second. Um Another question. Best receiver, in your opinion, T.O. or Randy Moss? Ooh. Well, you know, you, 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 first of all, you, you're not giving the respect due to the last <laughs> name. Because. Well, I didn't, I didn't say the greatest of all time. I just said, I said, of the two, the, which one is the best receiver? I ain't talking about Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. See, so when you, when you talk about receivers, first of all, when you're talking to me about receivers, it's going to start with John Stallworth. The man is in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Out of Alabama A&M. So he did that from a black college. That's another mm-hmm. story. But let's get back to your question. If you say Randy Moss or T.O., definitely going to go with Randy Moss. Mm. Mm. Same here. Same here. I, I got to go with Moss. And I love T.O. I love his game. You know, but if I got to pick one, I'm taking, I'm taking T, I'm taking, excuse me, I'm taking Randy Moss. Um, past or present, who is the best running back you've either played against or coached against? College or pro? Golly. College or pro, because you saw some dogs in SEC, I know. Well, I mean, quiet is kept. In my signing class in 2000, or well, 1997, 
Mm-hmm. Little would we know that signing class, we had two future 2,000-yard rushes in the NFL. Jamal wow. Lewis and, Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry. They were the mm. same signing class. Wow. We also had another little running back, Travis Stevens, who was 5'9", buck 95, but tough as leather. Mm. We joke about this to this day. Unfortunately, our senior year was the year of 9-11. That was the weekend that we were supposed to play Florida. Oh, wow. That game, that game got pushed to the end of the season. And so, like always, the winner of that game is going to get to the SEC East. Mm-hmm. We go to the Swamp. Like I said, 5'9", 195. Travis Stevens gives Florida 250 on the ground. Damn. 250 in the Swamp. We retire Steve Spurrier. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always going to be partial to – the guys I play with, you true, know, because true. of the relationships and the, the blood, the sweat, you know, like the genuine relationship with those guys, because we came into college together. Mm-hmm. I know what, you know, I I know what they did. I knew how they worked. Like I, I saw it from when it started. You know, just like those three guys, like I said, two of them cats end up running for two thousand in the NFL. And that's hard to do. Everybody don't do that. Mm-mm. Only a handful of only a handful have done it. And so we had two in the same signing class that did it. Yeah, that's Henry, as funny as Travis here was. When he got to the league, he had you know like every you know running back, <laughs> offensive guy. They got this. He had his slogan: "If you want to win, get a ball to T. Him." <laughs> <laughs> And you could give that man a ball 40, 50 times a game, and he just yeah, he gonna he just gonna weigh out. He was a workhorse for real, for yeah. real. Um, all right, let's 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 get a little personal real quick. Um, gotta pick one. Peyton Manning or Eli Manning. But you played with Eli. I Eli. I'm sorry, you co- you coached Eli with the Giants and you played with Peyton. At uh, Tennessee, you taking Peyton over Eli? Because what I know about the stories of Peyton in Knoxville, from the time he stepped on campus, mm-hmm. like the 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 nickname, the sheriff, and like his football IQ. You're in a room on a team with that man. Mm-hmm. People have no idea. Mm. Do you think he? Do you think he has any regrets about not winning a national title at, at Tennessee? Because you guys did win the title, but you won it under T. Martin, who who was a dope dope college quarterback. He 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 doesn't get the props he deserves, but you think that that may have you know ever bothered him? Just your oh, personal oh, opinion. Absolutely. I mean, because and this is another sore subject that people hate to hear when I say this. Mm-hmm. That his senior year. And deserved the Heisman mm. because one, he was the best player. You look at what he did on offense, defense, and as a returner. But then, more importantly, he did beat his rival. Peyton never beat Florida, and so if if Peyton had ever beat Florida, that would check a box for him. But two, if he would have just if he would have had that moment like Charles Woodson had against Michigan. You know, you always talk about that Heisman moment. Mm-hmm. He had a 
Heisman career, but we know the Heisman is about a year. Yeah. He never he never had that moment. Never had that moment. And Charles, you can make a case that Charles Woodson's best moment came in the biggest game and it was a rivalry game for him against Ohio State. So Absolutely. uh so uh last question before we get out of here, man. Um pregame music. Jazz or Lil John? I, I I would never do jazz during pregame. And it's not even Lil John. It was really gonna be some DMX. Where my dogs at? It's gonna be some good old DMX. <laughs> well, me and the rest of the crew know it's Lil John. So you could you could use that answer. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to try to just it's an inside it, joke folks it's an inside joke you're not going to make that my <laughs> there was no little john in the 90s like the late 90s when i was in college that wasn't until the early <sighs> but even still that was when dmx and he could get you, he'd have you on edge like listen oh yeah oh yeah man one last thing before we get out of here man i we i think i know we've talked about it before but have you ever and and, I, and I'm gonna ask you this question because I know that me and the fellas have talked about it. Have you ever envisioned that day, that Sunday evening, where you're on that field, wherever it is, and that confetti's coming down on your head? Have you envisioned what that moment's gonna feel like? Because we we know that it's gonna happen for you. I mean, because it's supposed to. It will. I'm going to speak it into existence. Yes, that day where you that Super Bowl Sunday where you the Lombardi Trophy is in your hands and the confetti's coming down on your head. You know, now being here as a head guy, have a chance for that to happen for the hometown team mm -hmm. and for it to be the first one in franchise history. I I know. We always joke about it. I would be snot crying on the field that day. <laughs> you know how it is. it's a lot of right. Atlanta fans are very, you know, they're very supportive. They're very finicky, but they are supportive. Very much so. And so when you're winning, you're all on board. And so I had a chance to grow up here and the Braves made their run in the 90s. And I had a chance to see those parades. Even even though the Hawks never made it to a championship. Hey, hey watch it now. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, we got to check score the game. Oh, but it's over. Get, it's it's over. Yeah. Watch out for the steps. Yeah. Um, it, it was like you could see even when the Hawks were doing good. But even when, like you said, the Falcons had their run, not just with Mike Vick, but when Jamal Anderson and they made that Super Bowl mm -hmm. run, like Atlanta's a different city when the teams are successful. Very much so. And you know, it's already a melting pot of people, but that's going to make a lot more people flip and get on the bandwagon with the Atlanta Falcons. Like, because you know, obviously the Braves are still doing that thing. Right. The Hawks are, you know, they're up and coming. Even Atlanta United, you like, you hear about the stories down at that stadium when they won, and even now. Like it's unreal. So everybody wants to be associated with a winner, but, but for the Falcons to be able to get one, in the, you know, because football in the South and what it means, Facts. yeah, like yeah, I mean, like it, 
you can't even describe it. I wouldn't even want to think about it. You know what, man? I, I think just because how we feel about you, uh, we'd be snot crying too. You know, even if it wasn't, you know, even if it was, you know, so, even if they were fans of somebody else, um, because you know, like you said, you you hit the nail on the head. Like, no, this this city will really get behind you. I, I mentioned that ninety seven year that they went to the Super Bowl. That was my first year in Atlanta, and when I tell you it, that team went fourteen and two, and the time between. I want to say the time between the playoffs starting and all the way through the Super Bowl. I mean, it was it was bananas. Like you would have, and then of course the Vic era was crazy, and then it ended crazy, and then you know Matt Ryan, and then the you know the 2016 season was crazy. Uh, but you know that we you know, all know how that ended. But yeah. um, you know they they want to see that they want to see a winner, and um, <clears throat> as uh, as the famous. Mel from Southwest Atlanta always says we we need some winners in the city, and um, yeah, we definitely as a crew, man, we want to see that happen for you. So, um, bruh, appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Um, as I mentioned, I forgot to mention, and I don't know how I missed it in the bio, but when when Doctor Thomas Stallworth was at University of Tennessee, he did pledge uh, Omega Sci Fi Incorporated. Hey, Q. <laughs> See, hey, I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have said nothing. My bad. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I, I would. This is the time where, of the podcast where I normally give out people's social media handles, but uh, he's not on social media, and he's probably very uh, smart for that because you shouldn't be on social media. <laughs> so, um, I don't, I don't want that headache. I don't want to go down. The man, trust me, you ain't missing nothing. You, you, you get everything we we need you to get in our group chat. So, and you don't have to be on social media to get that. But, um. My brother, man, much love. Appreciate you for coming through the podcast. Uh, we got to do this again, man. We got to do this again. And, um, yeah, we, we, we're we looking forward to a great season, this upcoming season for the, for you and the Atlanta Falcons. Absolutely, man. I enjoy this, man. You keep doing your thing. It's only going to get bigger and better because they got the right man behind the mic on the hey, ones man. and twos. Appreciate it. One, two, on, one, two on the ones and twos, man. You already know what it is. <laughs> There you go. Well, that's human baby at work. <laughs> that's going to do it for us. So, for my man, Dr. Thomas Stallworth, I, mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. For my man, Dr. Thomas Stallworth, I am your boy, 12 Kai. We'll catch you guys next time. Five G's, like the cell phone.